Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Faster Masters Rowing Radio. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Hi, Marlene. Hi, Rebecca. Hello, Faster Masters, and summer is here. Hooray. I finally, <laughs> you have T-shirts on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, just a quick reminder for everybody that Faster Masters Rowing Radio is supported by the FasterMastersRowing.com training program. And this is a service that Marlene and I have launched, which is a subscription. Every month that you pay to be a member, you get a training program, a land training program, peak performance tips, drills and exercises, rowing lifestyle advice and a bonus that's six separate modules and you can buy a membership in three different ways one as an individual so a training program for an individual secondly for a crew so if you have a regular crew and you want to all work on the same program you buy the crew program and it gives you everything that's in the individual plus three times a year you get video analysis individually done by marlene and myself on your submitted video and the third option is a club or crew option where an entire club or a coach who wants to buy a training program for the group that they're coaching can also buy. And in addition to the video module, you also get monthly um, Skype calls with Marlene and myself to run through any questions you have to improve your coaching or your group organization, club management and so on. We will also help with selection for crews if you choose the club or coach option. Now, for those who already have a training program and have a coach, but perhaps would like to participate, we made a light version, which we call the magazine, which is the fourth way you can subscribe. The magazine does not include the training program. So there's no land training and no on water training program, but it has everything else. So the peak performance tips and the skills and drills and the rowing lifestyle and the bonus. You'll find everything about the programs on fastermastersrowing.com. Now, Marlene, what's coming up in the training programs for the July month, if you choose to subscribe for July? Well, in July, for the people who are training for 1K races, and if they have a peak in August or September, so this might be uh, people training for Canadian Henley Masters, US Masters Nationals, um, FISA World Masters in September, or the New Zealand Masters Championships in September. Um, our July is, we're in our specific preparation phase. And um, our July program is quite focused on speed work and transitioning our stroke rates up um, and starting to uh, really pick up some speed before we move into August. And our other training program, the second training program, is our beginning of head race preparation. So if you're going to be focusing on longer races or 5K races, in the fall, um, you would want to start now with the July program, which is going to be more in endurance-based. Fantastic. Well, if anybody would like to join and you're a listener to the uh, podcast, we're prepared to give you a 100% refund guarantee. If you sign up and within 15 days you discover that it's not for you, 
we will give you a full refund with no questions asked. And just so that you know, when you sign up, you will always get two months program. So you'll get the prior month and the current month. So you have a good way of assessing whether or not you think this is right for you. Now, let's move on to the podcast for today. So today we've got two topics that we want to talk about. The first one is all about training in the heat. So heat is, is, is it happens. They're having a heat wave in Europe right now. It hit 45 degrees in France today. And the fact of the matter is there will be times when you are at a regatta and you can't avoid the heat. So, Marlene, what's the first thing that people can do to prepare themselves? Well, as older athletes, particularly athletes between 50 and 70, um, first be aware that as you get older, your your reaction to heat changes. And um, staying on top of hydration, of course, is always a priority. Um, things that can affect your reaction to heat, your medications. If you're taking beta blockers that keep your heart rate low, if you're taking antihistamines or um, any type of an antidepressant medication, these can affect your tolerance for heat. So if you are taking some medication, that might be something you want to consider um, that that can increase your reaction to heat stress. Uh, if you happen to be a few pounds over your ideal racing weight, um, the more extra, let's call it inactive tissue, um, the more extra weight that we carry, the lower our tolerance is to heat stress because that has a very insulating effect on the body. So if you know you're going to race in hot conditions, um, maybe you need to drop that extra kilo or two kilos that might make a difference in how you tolerate heat um, being a little bit on the lighter side more ideal racing weight can help you um, and certainly of course uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how to prepare for exercise in the heat but also older athletes our body simply does not lose heat as fast through our skin um, as it does when we're younger. So that also can be a little bit of an insulating effect. So we we cool slower, slower than younger people do in a nutshell. <laughs> really good to know that. Now, you talked a little bit about hydration. What's the first rule of thumb for hydration? Carry a water bottle with you all the time. And sip. Sip and it. Sip. Hold it in front of your face so that you can sip from time to time, even if you don't feel thirsty. Exactly. <laughs> if it's if your water bottle is always within sight, you're much more likely to be drinking water and and at a rate that your body can absorb it versus drinking a lot of water all at once, for example. Now, of course, your water bottle needs to have more than just water in it. What should you be putting in in addition to water? Well, some people like, for example, the Nancy Clark, the sports nutritionist, she has a, uh, in one of her books, a really simple little recipe for a homemade sports drink, which is like a pinch of salt and a tablespoon of orange juice concentrate and just shake that up. And that's practically like a little homemade uh, electrolyte drink for you. So there's a little bit of carbohydrate in it, a little bit of sodium. Um, what would you add something else in there? 
No, I use that exact thing, although I okay. don't use the orange juice concentrate. Personally, I like lime juice cordial, but yeah, exactly that. It tastes a little odd when you first try it, but you know, if you don't want to pay for electrolyte um, powders, sachets, sure. it works. Right. Well, you could actually have grapefruit juice or lime juice or any any really type of citrusy citrusy thing, but the concentrate gives you probably a little bit of sugar there. You could instead you could just put in a pinch of pinch of sugar and that that's fine, but you definitely save a lot of money than buying commercial made drinks and um, that can be an advantage. I totally agree with that. Now, the, of course, the contrary to that is how much do you sweat? Now, that is very individual. And we were very fortunate to find that uh, British Rowing has issued a sweat rate calculator, which I'll just run through with you. And the link to their original article will be in the show notes. So how to calculate your sweat rate. Firstly, it's four steps. Go to the toilet and then weigh yourself before exercise, wearing minimal clothing. Then secondly, do a 60 odd minute training session and drink as normal, whatever's normal for you and wipe away sweat from your skin, from your hair, just as you might in a normal training session. Thirdly, weigh yourself again after the exercise, again, wearing minimal clothing and record how much fluid you consumed during exercise. You need to know whether your water bottle is a liter bottle or a 75 centiliters, but that's pretty easy to do. You can do it just with a kitchen measuring jug. Then the fourth thing you do is to calculate your sweat rate, which is pre-session weight minus post-session weight plus the fluid consumed, and that's your sweat rate. And I'll, as I said, I'll put the link in your the show notes. And the point is that once you know how much you sweat, if you are sweating more than the fluid you're consuming, you can adjust the amount of fluid you consume. And it doesn't matter if you um, say that you lose one and a half kilos of fluid and you are only ingesting one kilo or one liter equals a kilo of liquid because you don't have to drink throughout your exercise. You can do it afterwards, but you do need to know what is normal for you. Yeah, that's a very that's a very handy tip. So I definitely think people should go to the link and pay attention to that. As I said, for us in summer racing, it's so easy to be ready to go to the start and something happens and then you sit out on the water for 20 or 30 minutes at one o'clock in the afternoon waiting waiting for your race. So that can be a, that can be quite critical in some cases to how you're going to perform. I remember that exact thing happening to me. I was at Seville doing the FISA World Masters World Championships and I was in a pair with Claire. Hi Claire, if you're listening. And we went out to race and the heat in front of us got stopped. Someone had an equipment failure and the race umpires, instead of just pulling that heat to the side and getting on with the rest of the regatta, they made everybody wait. And so we were out there, no shade in sight, really hot in Seville in southern Spain in early September. And there was no way we could stay cool except we scooped up water with our caps and just threw it over our heads so that we got a kind of cooling effect. And then you had the wet fabric sitting on your forehead, which was actually reasonably nice. But our only rationalization was it was the same for everyone. And although we mm -hmm. were English roses and not used to the heat, uh, we just had to suck it up and get on with it. 
Well, that actually probably saved your race, the fact that you were dousing yourself with water just to, to cool. Um, if you expect a situation like that, also, you know, you can always take a couple of water bottles that are frozen with ice into the boat just in case something like that happens. I mean, you never know. I mean, it's totally unexpected, but something like that, again, could help keep you cool. And um, I was looking through a few articles and I found some tips I thought we could pass on about how to prepare to exercise in the heat. And um, if we talk about like, if you're exposed to heat stress, one that slows your recovery from your training. So that's something you have to take into account is you're going, you may need increased recovery time after a certain type of workout. Um, it also is going to raise your heart rate. So your heart rate is going to be elevated when you're in a heat situation. So that's going to raise the intensity. So that's something that you, you have to watch that your heart rate's not going too high or that you're not overexerting for the type of workout that you want to be doing. Um, but there is what they call the WUT protocol, which is similar to the sweat rate. And that stands for weight, urine, and thirst. And the same idea, when you get up in the morning, you check, are you thirsty or not thirsty? What level are you at? Um, you check the color of your urine to make sure that it's not uh, dark. Like they say, if it looks like apple juice, you're in trouble because that's way too um, concentrated. And, um, and if you're weighing yourself from day to day, there's usually, even if you're losing a little bit of weight, your body weight isn't really going to change more than 1% if you're hydrated. So just checking, is that a pound or a pound and a half or half a kilo, that keeping an eye on that. If, if you're seeing that two of these points are red flags, then you know, your corrective action first is to drink um, a nice big bottle of water and then try to make sure you have one or two glasses of water throughout the day um, or with your, with your meals to correct that. And, and you don't have to just drink fluids to get rehydrated. You can eat melons and berries and watermelon. Uh, you can eat gazpacho, cold soups. Um, the best thing they say for pre-cooling your body before you exercise is a Slurpee, you know, those ice slurry drinks. So, yeah. and we don't mean margaritas before, you could have margaritas afterwards, but ice slurry drinks, they are actually the most effective thing to lower your core temperature a bit before you exercise in heat or you go out to race. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, if you need to acclimatize to get used to heat, like you know in two weeks you're going to your championship race, it's going to be in a part of the country that's hotter than where you train at home or a different time, time of day, you, you need to allow at least 10 days to get used to the heat. Full acclimatization can take 14 days. So this process, what you can do at home is start introducing yourself to, to heat training. And what you would wanna do is keep your interval, your hard work at the coolest time of the day. But if you can row in the middle of the day or say late afternoon, do some of your steady state work and your technical work, low intense, start with low intensity, in 
higher temperature. And, um, and, then if, and then you can, as you get closer to your race, you could maybe do a little bit of moderate intensity at ideally as close to the temperature that you're going to race in. And that, that will help you adjust to it. So you don't have to do these really hard race pieces in the highest temperatures to get that effect of your body. Get Your body will start to increase the sweat weight rate. It'll get used to it with low intensity training. So oftentimes the hottest part of the day is four to five in the afternoon. So if you can do a row after work, that might, you know, a little short 30, 40 minute session, that might be a good way to start acclimatizing to a hotter temperature. Um, before you go to your your races and of course pre-cooling is a big thing uh cool handkerchief some people can buy you can buy those bandanas that you can freeze and they have a little ice bar in them there's all kinds of tricky things like this that you could freeze and tie around your neck or even just a little ice ice massage at your temples or the back of your neck can cool you quite a bit so um so allow 10 to 14 days to get a little bit accustomed to the heat if you know you're going to be racing in, in some hotter conditions. Wow. That's that's a lot of planning, but it's pretty simple stuff and it's low cost. It just takes a little bit of thought and personal yes. organization. Exactly. Some attention. It's part of your race plan in, in yeah. some sense, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, maybe add it in. We talked in a couple of episodes ago about having a written race plan, which includes on the land before you get on the water. So maybe you should include that in the things to have ready the night before. That makes, I think that makes a lot of sense. Whether it's cold conditions or hot conditions, you may want to have that as part of your plan, what you need in case you're in one of these extreme conditions or rain. We had our master's championships last month and, sorry, earlier this month. And trust me, it was um, rain, cold rain, and a little bit of sort of not really sleet. It was snow on the mountains. We could see the snow and just being damp. God. Yep. <laughs> it's hard because you come in off one race and you have a quick turnaround. And um, I got through three sets of dry clothes in one day. And yep, I had you have dry clothes that I changed into after each race if I had time. And then I changed out of them to keep them dry and back into my wet race suit. Oh, but that's what you have to do sometimes. Right. Yes, exactly. And not to and to still be able to race and focus on racing and be as comfortable as you can to keep moving. So too true. Right. Now let's talk about some more exciting things. How to transition to get getting used to rowing at higher stroke rates. Because of course, when we're racing, we are generally going to be at high stroke rates. And we've done a large amount of training at lower rates, which is basically 24 and below in the main, if you've been following our program. So Marlene, what's the first bit of advice about transitioning to high rates? Well, I think I think when you start to work on your higher rates, the, the type of, you can do short, short works. And we have a few different types of uh, workouts that you can do. And in our training plan, these are things that I use. I use various combinations of things, but I use all of these in some form at different times of the season. But you, in terms of your training uh, for your technique, you have to pay a lot of attention to your blade work. And as you start to row higher, you still have to be effective at moving the boat so that you're still 
growing at a, you know, putting a good spacing between your puddles and you're still, you know, you have to train your speed work. You have to train your coordination for your blade work along with that because you have to feather quicker, you have to enter quicker, you have to do everything quicker because your boat is moving at a higher speed. So there, there are four, four ways that you can start to build your transitions of your stroke rates up. And whenever you do a transition stroke, I like to think 110%. And you know, you may not really be 110%, but you want that should be a definitive stroke. It shouldn't be, you know, fuzzy like, oh, well, we're sort of raising our stroke rate. You want to go from 28 to 30 or 30 to 32. And you and, and you want to try to make that happen in one stroke or as a crew together in one stroke so that you're not spending three strokes changing changing rates. You we want it to be a very defined leg drive and um, and hands away together to, to bring that those ratings up. And um, think of pushing it up versus, push it up with the leg drive through the water versus trying to pull the rate up with the upper body. That's a big difference in increasing the, the speed of the boat. But um, one of my favorite ways is uh, speed play or fartlek training. And this is something that comes from running. And say you're, well, I'm just putting a, general example, say you're doing a steady state row for 60 minutes. And whenever you feel like it, you increase your rate for 20 strokes. So maybe you're rowing at 18. And you're just like, Okay, I'm gonna pop it up to 30 for 20 strokes. And then you go back down and don't lose your rhythm, just go back, go back into your 18. And, um, and then just row at your steady 18 until you feel like doing another one. So they're very unstructured. Maybe there's a point in your river where you've got to go around a turn, then you've got a nice straightaway. You can pick and choose the, the rest is undefined. It's when you feel like it, but you just say, okay, I'm going to go up to race rate for 20 and then you bring it back down. So it's not terribly stressful. And the important thing is don't do it when you have to steer your boat. So do it when you're on a straight, when you've already looked around, you know there's nothing in front of you, and you know you've got space to do 20 strokes without having to turn your head. Yes, very good point, because you also want to push the envelope a little bit here and row, row well. Um, the next category I call speed bursts versus speed play. So our play, we're doing that unstructured rest. A speed burst, we've got a defined number of seconds of high speed and a defined number of seconds at easy paddle. But again, keep your rhythm when you're paddling easy. Don't just like get lazy in the boat and, you know, slouch and things like that. Keep it a sharp paddle. So one example, there are many examples of this, but one example is 10 times 30 seconds. And you just push the rating as high as you can rowing effectively. So don't get too crazy with your blade work. Just keep it nice and clean and sharp. And then 90 seconds off. And then 30 seconds, build the rate up as high as you can. And then 90 seconds off. And you could do this as a middle sec segment. This takes about 20 minutes. Am I right? Yeah, two minutes time, 10, 20 minutes. So you could do row 20 minutes, do 20 minutes of speed burst, do another 20 minutes. Doesn't load you physiologically it's more coordination training because these are less than 30 seconds so it's anaerobic um, 
The next thing I like to do are called accelerations. So now we have speed play, speed bursts, and accelerations. And accelerations are building up your rate, starting to go fast, but I like to start first with half slide accelerations because the goal is high turnover. High turnover for blade work, high turnover for uh, a power application, not missing water. So again, build this into your steady row, X number of minutes. You can do half slide accelerations for 20 strokes. And for people in a single, I like to see them hitting high 40s or almost 50 strokes a minute by the end of their 20 in a single. Now, this is pretty challenging, but you can build up your speed and you, you can get to it. And if you're in a team boat, you can hit 60 strokes a minute if you're I, good. <laughs> I, wait, I'm going I'm to try this. I need okay. to try this. <laughs> but definitely, if you get into your high 40s in a single by the end of your 20, that's that's quite good. So that gives you a little bit of a standard. Um, then the, the really good thing about this, we call this over speed work. So you are yes. rating higher than you would in a race. And the joy of this is that when you come down to your race rate, it seems really doable and really manageable because it's so much fewer strokes a minute. Absolutely. And, and again, this is coordination training. This is training the coordination of your blade work, your feathering, your squaring, your reaction time. And as master's athletes, we have to pay a lot of attention to that. Um, that's something we have to put a little more emphasis on to, to stay sharp. Accelerations, you can progress then to something like 10 strokes at half slide, 10 strokes at three quarters, or 10 strokes at half, 10 strokes at full. You can, you can play with this a lot. And the, the fourth category are just stroke transitions, whether it's a 20 stroke piece, it could be a 40 stroke piece or a 50 stroke piece. And this, say it's an acceleration 20, you could go up two strokes a minute every five strokes. Or if it's a 40 stroke piece, you can go up two for 10, up two for 10, up two for 10. These, you, you can mix these up a lot, but maybe you need to go up four in a certain case. So you, there's, there's a lot of creativity in this, but you're focusing either on five stroke segments or 10 stroke segments. And you want a clear def, if you're going from 26 to 30, you want that to be very defined. And this is how your crew can work to make those transition strokes all at the same time and knowing what, following what the stroke is doing or knowing what your coxswain is telling you to do, that your commands are solid. But um, very good to practice those up, especially for your second half of your race as you're, you're starting to get into your final sprint. That's really good advice. And I have one last one to add. And this is one that I call a speed up. And a speed up is 15 strokes where you take the rate up one point every stroke. So you can go from 20 to 35 or 18 to 33 or 22 to 37. And it's jolly hard to do. And I'll explain why. When you're increasing the rate in this measured way, what you find is that you can increase the rate using greater strength or power up to around rate 26. You can quite easily, you just work hard, either 18, 19, 20, and it comes 
comes and it comes and you get to about 26 and when you get there you have this curious transition which i think is also part of the design of a rowing shell hull and the boat fails to increase in rate and increase in speed unless you make a really noticeable change and that change is this you have to move your body faster up the slide particularly when you're trying to increase the rate from 26 up through to the low mid 30s so you use power for the first few strokes maybe six strokes and then after that you have to use power plus speed and that speed is you choosing to dynamically move your body not just relying on your strength of your legs and your back that sounds like fun i love doing drills like that and it reminds me of one drill um when we were talking about starts two podcasts ago and um there's one i, I call fly the slide which this is the only time i will ever tell you to like <laughs> move as fast as you can on the slide, but you kind of do a, a reverse ratio where you practice fast up the slide, place, and then and then you just kind of just real easy through the water, then fast up the slide, and you practice that higher speed, just moving your body faster, but there's no stress through the water. So you can do a lot of these without getting without getting tired. If you're waiting for someone on the water, you know, practice a few of these and just practice moving your body quicker and uh but that sounds like a lot of fun yeah we used to call that schoolboy rowing because some uh -huh. of the really young lads that's what they do right right you see them moving very fast and the boat is not moving very fast <laughs> so um but you know those are great games to get comfortable in your boat and you know play you have to i think i think when you're trying to increase speed uh, sometimes people take it really too seriously and they get all tense. And on the contrary, I think you have to be a little bit looser. You have to keep your hands looser. You have to let the blade be a little bit freer in the water so that you don't overwork the blade depth and things like that. So, you know, yeah. these are great, great things just to, to play and have fun and work on these transitions. I find that it's very similar to running downstairs. If you can run downstairs without thinking about the next step just let your body anticipate it and you find that you can actually run quite fast down a short flight of stairs um, by moving quickly mm -hmm. and not thinking about where you're putting your feet and yeah. it's the same idea in the boat particularly i like your half slide drills for that those are great yeah those are great to get people and and for if you're in a team boat just to get everybody you know, out together, like knees down together, out together, knees down together, out together. And uh, cross-country skiers do a lot of running downhill drill, drills for high turn, high turnover, just, you know, just quick feet, quick feet. And it's, it's the same type of thing that uh, not, not getting too deep, not overworking it, but just, just kind of tap it along, stay quick, stay sharp, stay, you'll, you'll go faster if you're clean. You will. So I hope that gives everybody plenty to practice during July and the best of luck from us both for your racing. Though, of course, you won't need luck because you'll be well prepared. I have one final little thing to advise, which is that I have been invited and I'm extremely proud about this. I've been invited to commentate at the Henley Royal Regatta on their YouTube channel. So I have two slots where I think I'm going to be live. One is on Wednesday, the 3rd of July, and the other is on Thursday, the 4th of July. And both of them span the lunch interval. I will put my 
time slots into the uh, show notes. But please look out, give me feedback because I could definitely improve. And uh, one slot I know I'm on with Mark Hunter and the other I know I'm on with Martin Cross, both of whom are amazing guys who I will be uh, privileged to be their wingman. Excellent. Well, that I will be home coaching my master's here in Canada, my small master's program. And uh, I'm living quietly in July while everybody's training. <laughs> so, Till next month, everybody. Have a great month and we'll see you next time. Bye bye.